0: Welcome to Fundamental Tracks, the most in-depth music podcast on the internet. I'm Andy Pulliam. We've got an exciting show for you this month. In addition to our normal artist interview, new releases, and commentary, we're adding a new segment to the program called the Music Roundtable. The concept is this. Take two regular music fans, sit them down with some friendly beverages, and let them talk music. Philip Groves and Joelle Morlett are two of Chicago's most passionate music fans, you won't want to miss their unique spin on the music industry. And if you're like me and you have a young child who you want to raise in rock and roll, you may have thought to yourself, what do I start them off with? Well, this month's featured artist, Chip Kinman, gives us the answer, as the punk rock veteran has just released an album with his band PCH entitled My First Punk Rock Record. It's a fun, fast-paced record clocking in at just over 11 minutes, perfect for the no-attention span generation. Before you know it, the kids will be asking for a leather jacket and old Clash records. So let's head to the Artist Interchange with a musician who has had an amazing career spanning over 30 years and crossing from punk to country to experimental to cowboy and back to punk again. Here's part one of our interview with Chip Kinman. We are here this morning with uh, Chip Kinman who has been part of the music industry for uh, quite a few years and has had a chance to be in a couple of very influential bands over the years, too, and uh, thanks for joining us this morning. I really appreciate it. My pleasure, Andy. Now, as I said, you've been in bands like the Dills, who have been regarded as highly influential, and and rank-and-file, who some have said it paved the way for the alt-country movement. Mm -hmm. Um, What do you think when you hear things like this, and uh, is there a particular project that you're most proud of?
1: I think they're right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> um, actually I'm kind of proud of them all because we've we um, I was in all those bands with my brother Tony and we always tried to do something that was different and something that was contrary to what was going on at the time of course in 1977 to play punk rock was very contrary to um, the way you know, to. to Uh, where rock music was at the time Mm -hmm. in fact it was so contrary it was like anti-rock and um uh it was it was it was exhilarating that's for sure um and when we did when we started rank and file country music was was a bad word in in the alternative scene um people thought country music was kind of the enemy no bands were really playing it Mm -hmm. and um in fact we moved to texas and we got our first show in texas at the local new wave club called clubfoot and we were um... uh... people were just aghast because they thought you know that we had gone over to the enemy and we were asked never to come back again oh, wow. <laughs> yeah so um... but of course we did right. and um... uh... it's you know it's been a lot of fun um... i loved blackbird that was uh... mine and tony's um... uh... our noise band with the drum machine and there had been other bands with drum machines for sure, and but we, I, I think we kind of took it a step further. We didn't try to hide the fact that it was a drum machine, and we got up there and just made some ungodly noise, and um, and we just love that. I mean, that that was Blackbird might have been one of the most exhilarating bands I've been in, one I've been the most proud of, and one which a lot of your a lot of listeners might not know about um, was we had a band called Cowboy Nation where we played cowboy music and it was really um it was uh really a shock to the people on the cowboy scene there is a cowboy scene out there and it's like you know they play rodeos and cowboy poetry festivals and that kind of stuff and they they approach the music as really kind of um either like a combination of um of like real reverential, or kind of a like Saturday matinee kind of cowboy thing, and we came at it. You know, if I can use the movie analogy, we came at it like a John Ford western, mm-hmm. and um, it was it was pretty shocking to a lot of those folks. So, so I dig them all, and then I'm trying to with uh, PCH do something similar. Um, I've recorded an album that's 15 songs and a little over 11 minutes. Mm. and um I uh, don't call it an e p or a single or anything like that it's an album it's a it's a totally new way of kind of listening to uh listening to something kind of like fast food you know
0: right I've read a description uh of you that that labels you as creatively restless uh would you agree with this i mean is that kind of uh where you're coming from with all the different projects? Um,
1: i yeah I think that's a really that that's a really good way to put it um because we we always try to do something different. We really haven't gone into the, um, the the oldies circuit, you know. We haven't really put any of our bands back together and gone out and played. Um, not that we wouldn't, but we just haven't. Mm-hmm. And and we're always, uh, you know, I'm always trying to do something different, always trying to do something new. And um, I I just kind of have to because that's the way, you know. That's I, I think that's important for music and to keep pushing. You know, uh, I mean, let's face it—it's pop music. Keep keep pushing pop music forward. Um, You have to do that. Mm. So um, I I think it's an important element. You know, in um, in in music, all the best bands, you know, have um, pushed it just a little bit further down the line, and and that's a good thing. Right. Right. Exactly. And
0: let me ask you: uh, How did you get started in music?
1: Um, well, I grew up in Carlsbad, California. That's where, you know, I spent my high school years, and in Carlsbad, you were either like a surfer, a motorcycle motorcycle rider, or a jock, or that sort of thing, and I really wasn't any of those things, So, um, so I was kind of like, you know, a nerd who stayed in my bedroom and played guitar. And um, and I didn't like any of the music those people listened to because they all listened to Led Zeppelin, Deep Purple, Black Sabbath, Emerson, Lake and Palmer, Jethro Tull, all that kind of stuff. And um, I just thought that was horrible. I listened to David Bowie, New York Dolls, Velvet Underground, Buddy Holly, and um, uh, in the early seventies when like Bob Marley came around, I listened to you know I listened to those records. Um, so. I think that was 72 or something like that, Catch a Fire came out. So um, I, I just listened to different kinds of music, and and I really wanted to create my own, you know. Um, and I had a lot of time to do it because I was hanging out in my bedroom. I wasn't surfing, I was hanging out in my bedroom, playing, trying to figure out how to play, you know, Personality Crisis, <laughs> that sort of thing, really? which I was never really any good at. I, I had a really hard time picking songs off records, so... I kind of I kind of had to write my own, or I would try to say like try to rip off you know Personality Crisis and play something not quite right but different, and then hey it's my own song, yay! <laughs> <laughs> it's the best way to do it.
0: Right, exactly. Let me ask you, with your brother, did mm-hmm. you you've been in so many projects with him? Right. When when you first started out, was that something that you anticipated that you would be playing a lot over yeah. the years? Did you always no
1: not. Not at all Not at all Because he um, In fact I never Anticipated playing With him at all Because he He was in like um, a, uh, Tony was really Musically um, Gifted Let me say He could write mu- Or he could read music He was in like In the band And the orchestra And all that kind of stuff And he started playing bass Before I started playing guitar Not not too much sooner or er, Earlier But a little bit Enough that he was like Good When I was still trying To figure out how to play A D chord And that okay. sort of thing And um I remember he once told me, I will never be in a band with you. <laughs> 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 it's just kind of crappy. But, we, um, but um, still I am, as a matter of fact. But we gravitated toward each other because um, he liked the same kind of music I did. And uh, so there. In, in Carlsbad in, say, 1975, 76, there really wasn't anybody to play with. Who liked that kind of music? We did, and we had a couple friends who, who you know, liked the same sort of music. So, so we, you know, we eventually gradu- uh, uh, gravitated toward each other. But he had been in several bands, uh, or a few bands, like you know, high school bands. One called Summit that did covers, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. and I think he was in a band in, in um, the local church called Saved by Grace which he called uh, sprayed by Mason he (laughs) he got he got kicked out of the band because they said he played too loud that (laughs) Um. he wanted to be in the band because they had an amp you (laughs) know right good (sighs) news right yes indeed
0: turning to um, the Dills um, some would say that they were sort of an American clash right Um, would you agree or disagree with this assessment
1: well yeah kind of I suppose you know just just you know because of the political thing um um, you know it's okay. I- I'm all right with it. You know, at the time I thought it was kind of horrible. You know, but um, mm. but you know, in in the fullness of time, I can see what people meant by that, and um, I'm okay with that. It doesn't, you know, I'm I'm okay with labels, pretty much because they help they help you figure out what's going on, and uh, and um, that's a pretty good company to keep, I suppose.
0: Sure, sure. And you guys opened for them, right?
1: Yes, we did. We played with them at the uh, Santa Monica. Civic, I think it was on their second tour, and um, us and Bo Diddley and, and oh, really? here in uh, yeah here in here in uh, Los Angeles, and uh, my folks came up to the show and everything, so so it was kind of fun. They got to see got to see us playing in a really big place, and, right? And it was kind of neat,
0: right? Now the, the, a lot of times rock and roll history makes it look like punk rock was only happening in say London and uh, New York, right. Um, what was the LA punk scene like?
1: Well, the, it it was it was terrific. I mean, when it first started out, it was like, of course, a hundred faces. You know, it was just it wasn't that many people at all. And um, it was a time where you we thought, you know, we ruled the world. We were going to make you know great changes. And and I suppose I suppose we did in some way. It. It, it was just terrific and of course you know you're 20 years old 21 years old and, and you don't care if you're broke you don't care you know if there's a bum sleeping on your doorway or you know you don't care if you have to spend the night in the car or some night or you know it's um it, it it was a really great time to be alive very exciting but but the same thing was happening not only in los angeles there was uh, the los angeles scene the san francisco scene portland seattle and vancouver so it was all up and down the west coast um not so much San Diego. There are some bands from San Diego, but um, San Diego is always been kind of a strange little town, okay. that's for sure. But um, it, it, it was terribly exciting, and there was lots of shows, and there was a time when you thought that, you know, this would never end. Yeah. And, of course, it did end about two years later. So. Okay. <laughs> but that's the way it was. Everything was very telescoped. Everything was was on a on time wise, it's on a very small scale. You had first wave bands, which we were one and then second wave bands. The second wave bands came like two months after the first wave band, you know. But you would definitely call them second wave bands.
0: of the band? I know that they're, they're kind of few and far between.
1: Yeah, um, I wish there were more studio recordings. Um, I think there's like four live albums or something like that. And I have a, a box full of tapes that people have sent me over the years. Um, but of course it's all live stuff. Um, I do wish there were more studio recordings because we had, the Dills had some just terrific songs, really great songs. And maybe one day we'll, um, we'll record them. We're, uh, Uh, what I'd like to do is go into the studio you know get Zippy on drums he was our last drummer and just go in and uh, or or get Sean who played on the PCH record he's a fantastic drummer but you know go in the studio and just bang him out like we would have you know back in the Back in the day, you know, I wouldn't want to update them or slow them down or do country versions or do a three-quarter time version of you know I Hate the Rich or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It, it'd be fun to go to go in and just like like bash them out, and um, I think that'd be a terrific record. I really do because there were some really good songs. Um, um, you know, uh, Tony and I were on a punk rock roll, that's for sure. <laughs> right.
0: How does one transition from from being on you know on the punk rock circuit and Things like that to to a country band uh, as you guys did with Rank and File.
1: Well, it was pretty easy. Um, we basically just didn't care, um, you know, what people thought. We we never really tried. I've I've never done that in my music career. Um, I just had to do what I thought was was musically correct for me. Um, uh, so so you know we we basically didn't care. We we actually started the band in um... new york city and and there was kind of easy because people thought it was high concept Whoa, punk rockers you know country music and new york's a very concept town and um... so you know it was easy to get shows and and it was pretty well received but um, like i said we moved to texas because we wanted to you know get real uh, which is why we moved to texas because we wanted to play in you know honky tonks and you know and 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 bars and and things like that uh... it was uh it was a little bit more difficult but what's interesting is when we actually did get gigs and honky-tonks and bars and stuff like that it it was really no problem those people didn't have a problem with it it was the punk rock people that had the problem but but musically i saw the same sort of energy and rebelliousness and excitement in a merle haggard record as i did in a ramones record
0: a lot of people will- call rank and file a cowpunk punk band is right is, is that a fair uh, label would you say or? i
1: suppose i suppose we thought we were a country band we i mean we really tried to play country music you know and um and that's just the way it came out i've never been able to like like try to do something that wasn't real you know like inside me um I think the only time I did do that, it was, it was a massive, you know, you know, embarrassment and failure, like when, uh, the last rank and file record was kind of a hard rock record, and, um, uh, you know, I thought, we just thought, we were sick of the country thing, so we said, ah, let's, let's play hard rock, and our hearts kind of weren't into it, and, and you can tell on the record it's just kind of crappy. Mm -hmm. But, um, but, yeah, I I think Calpon's fair enough, you know, um, but, like I say, we thought it was country music. There is no doubt in our mind that it was just plain old country music. Um, we really loved the uh, the outlaw bands, okay. you know, like uh, Waylon and Willie and, and the boys, <laughs> that sort of thing. So that was uh, that was something that really inspired us.
0: In AllMusic.com, the reviewer says that Rank and File was extremely influential and extremely good, but it was done rather quickly um mm-hmm. do you do you feel like you accomplished all you wanted to accomplish in the short time that you guys were banned or I mean uh, I, in rank and file right exactly i I know you said that um, you kind of got tired of the country thing after a while
1: yeah yeah, well, I suppose we did until we went off the rails you know it's it's now I can look back with uh, with hindsight and say, well, we shouldn't have done this, we shouldn't have done that like like you know we should have kept when we recorded the second album. You know, we should have kept the band together, but yeah, you know, I mean, not that we fired—you know, not that Tony and I fired anybody—but the band just kind of started falling apart. But it would, everything, everything would have been better had, had we kind of stuck to our original vision. But, um, but again, that's in hindsight. But I think, yeah, I think those first two records are are, are terrific, and um, you know, they have their place. They have their place in in music history, and that's a good thing. You know, I. I of course, I want the flowers long-living, but I don't mind, you know, I don't mind, you know, being in the history books and all that kind of stuff. I think that's kind of cool, and my can see it. Oh, man,
0: our interview with Chip Kinman in just a bit, and we'll have a track from My First Punk Rock Record from Chip Kinman and PCH. Now it's time to take a listen to some musical words of wisdom from Philip Groves and Joel Morlett at the Music Roundtable. I
2: want to let you know that uh, I gave Joao a feeder question, and I want to have a completely unbiased gay man's review of the new Madonna album. Yeah,
3: have I you thought said, about it? Yes. Oh, yeah. So yeah Good. I said I was well, up well, for the challenge. Okay. I and... The there's a new, There's a new
2: Double Dare challenge. Mark Summers <laughs> texted me when you weren't here and said that actually we want to see if we can go this entire podcast and not once bring up Madonna. Uh, uh,
3: uh, and I don't know if you're up to the challenge. I, I think it can go either way. I think I could definitely do both.
2: All right, I give up already. So how's your new album? Do you like
3: it? I do. But... I've made peace with it. How about that? No, no, no. I mean, I've, I've listened to it, and I can criticize somebody that I really like. Don't get me wrong. Awesome. I can definitely like point out the not so uh, so great things. I think I think about this album specifically. It's just it's really well marketed, and you know, it's produced exactly for what it's supposed to be. And and the best way to describe it because it's not nec- it doesn't push any envelope. It's not. Something completely out of the box Um, The best way I can Describe this album is that When you're listening to it eh, There's a lot that There's a lot you pick up that reminds you Of something else, of either something she's done before Or that Or or just something else in general Some kind of pop culture reference But uh, pop culture And um, it's like she took You know, bits and pieces Of like Like her greatest hits of beats mm-hmm. and and kind of harmonies. She took them, like you don't mean Pharrell well, took the whole team. Pharrell to them. The
2: whole team. Oh, the whole team. Okay.
3: How much? Okay, I want to know how much producing do you think she's involved with? Like, you see somebody that produces music, and you think that like the woman is fifty; she's had twenty five years of career. Do you think she still goes into the studio, has somebody hand her lyrics, and like push a button uh, now sing over this track, like? Think of how much she really does get involved with Whether she's, you know
2: Yeah, she gets involved You know, she's got the whole Maverick thing going forward It's definitely going to be a lot easier for her to get in there And not have anybody tell her what they want You know, she's not Nobody's trying necessarily to market her Yeah. But maybe she's just trying to market herself
3: Maybe. She, you know. has. she made a career out of it
2: Alright, man, that's cool uh, Now
3: the album's good like I, said, I
2: haven't actually just... listened to it You know
3: what? I've, I've heard mixed reviews on both yeah. ends it is mixed. It is mixed because it's nothing like uh, uh, wow, astonishing. But it's a solid album, and it's it has to be her most like accessible album she's done. Because, like I said, she took she's taken things for highlights from her career and then put the whole fresh spin with the whole Pharrell and Timbaland and Justin, which by the way sounds hot as hell. And my props for Justin getting it on, you know, vocally with Madonna. He he gets it on. You gotta give him props. Okay, that's it. That's it. That's sweet it. I I a question. I mean, you wanted a, a good. No, I'm glad. I was gonna try to see if I could get you to go this whole thing without talking about it, but I won't make another Madonna reference. No, you're totally but... not. You know, because I
2: like of Light. Like. I think it's a sweet album. Yeah, it's a pretty good album.
3: It's probably one of her strongest. Um, you know, my only like actual like
2: Madonna experiences are like I think my mom used to listen to him like growing up, and you know, she was I think. I think it would have been impossible to live your life and not have heard Madonna, Yeah, but I actually do like Ray of Light. I remember I, I heard it in high school, and it touched me. I, I felt really moved it by touch it.
3: touch you in places that you wanted to be touched? No, but I definitely, okay. definitely... Great, over. great question. Let's start off with that. Has an album ever touched you?
2: Yes. Radiohead, OK Computer. I remember uh, my friend Hank, actually, his dad is way cooler than probably I am right now. And his dad... Well, he worked for the Associated Press. So his dad gives him a copy of OK Computer and says, Hank, listen to this, okay? You know, I'd heard the Ben's, like, you know, bits and pieces. I think everybody rh creep, you know. Right. But, um, you know, I wasn't, like, into it. I wasn't really, like, given enough time. I'm like, all right, there's a video. He's in a shopping cart. Ridiculous. So my friend leaves the OK Computer in my car. And I didn't really give it that much of a go the night he left it in there. Come rolling that Monday morning, I remember, I got out, you know, at afternoon, I get out of school an okay computer's in my car and my cd player nissan maxima 93 uh was quite was quite was quite cranky about what cds it would play so you know i'm kind of probably rolling through a bunch of like standard like what's that junior year of high school cds like horn and things like that and deftones and tool and like probably some really gay music too like madonna Riv light and i you know i I throw in, you know, and you know, sometimes I still like to think I can spice up my life if I'm having a good time. But um, I threw in OK Computer and wow, it blew my mind. And you know, there's something about being like 17 on a gray day in the Midwest driving around after school because, you know, gas back then was awesome. I don't know if you guys remember. You could drive around aimlessly, like when it's 89 cents to a gallon, like phenomenal. You would just drive around. You know, that's a cool thing about, too. I, I hate to digress, but, uh, People every now and then would be like, oh, you grew up in Iowa. What what was that like? And I'm like, uh, we drove around, drank, and got high. Like, what did you do? They're like, oh, man, we drove around and drank. But we had the Sears Tower, bro. And, um, but, uh, dude, OK Computer blew my mind, and I never stopped listening to it ever since then, you know. The cool thing about Radiohead, in that opinion, is I love telling people this. They're like, so what's your favorite Radiohead album? And I will say that, my least favorite is Pablo Honey. You know, I'd be I'd be lying if I if I didn't say I didn't like Creep. Though I know it's overplayed, and I know it is what it is, and I know they hate Creep in their own right. And Hail to the Thief didn't didn't top anything for me. Hail to the Thief is a really good album, but it didn't like trump any of their other albums. The cool thing about all their other albums, I think each one is significantly different. And you, it's it's kind of like that line in Kill Bill when you're talking about comparing a Hattori Hanzo sword, you compare it to every other sword out there, but not to another Hattori Hanzo sword, and that's how I feel about Radiohead albums.
0: More from the roundtable later on, and now here's part two of our interview with Chip Kinman. Now you you mentioned um, going on onto Blackbird and. And playing mm-hmm. in that project, which once again seemed to have shocked a lot of people, the turn that you made. But um, you, you'd mentioned in, in an interview also that there's a common thread that that runs through all the different projects that that you've done. What would you say that that common thread would be?
1: Well, I think it was just it's the um, the musical adventurism of everything we've done. Everything everything was was unprecedented at that time, you know everything all the bands we had done the uh the you know punk rock in seventy six seventy seven uh country music in nineteen we actually started rank and file i think in late nineteen eighty uh sundown came out in eighty two It was unprecedented blackbird was i mean was our first review in the LA times called it career suicide because <laughs> it was it, it it was very in your face if you've never if 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 you'd never seen it um which i guess a lot of people have they they didn't see it but um it it, it was a very in your face band um I mean, it was just Tony and I, we and, and with the drum machine, and we didn't, like, care about making show, you know, about putting on a rock show or anything. We, we went up there and we started, and it was one big sludge extravaganza until we walked off the stage. Mm. It was incredibly loud and incredibly noisy and um, incredibly fun. We did on one tour with um, Firehose, Mike Watts' band. We, uh, okay. we brought along um, this gal, uh, snatch Model X to play drums, and she wasn't a drummer. We just gave her a drum kit and said, Okay, just go up there and, like, just kind of keep the beat while we're playing. Of course, we had the drum machine going, and, um, uh, she was a good sport, you know, and she did it. And we, 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 we told her, you know, don't, don't try to look like you're playing what's going on in the drum machine. And, uh-huh. um, that was so much fun because we were playing colleges and stuff, and and people in front they'd be looking at her, then listening listen to the drums kind of the PA's and looking at her and going, "What's going on?" <laughs> and you know, it it was tons of fun. There's a lot of humor in Blackbird. Okay, that's for sure. Okay,
0: that's for sure. So you're you're working on on with this uh, project called uh, PCH right now and quit. Um, so where where did you come up with the idea for that? It seems like a it kind of goes along with your your musically adventurous uh,
1: spirit. <laughs> Indeed it does. Indeed it does. Well, actually, I was um, uh, when I wake up in the morning, and sometimes I like to just you know pick up my guitar and uh, and and start playing before your your brain fully connects, because mm-hmm. um you'll you'll play like some strange things, you know, because it's it's in the morning and you're on your first cup of coffee, and you know you're not thinking it's you know like people normally do. I guess it's like how some people. You know, when they get high and write songs, but I don't get high, so uh-huh. you know, it's like. But but your brain's in a different place, and um and my wife um, um she plays guitar too, so we pulled out our guitars and we're sitting there in bed drinking the first cup of coffee, just fussing around, and we um we wrote this little song called uh, Love Bug. God bless Love Bug, who's an actual clown. Well, it's, it's like a little four-inch plastic clown, but it's. A real clown, and okay. and we wrote this this little song. And actually, how I recorded it was the exact arrangement that we just kind of sat there and played it and went, "Wow, that's kind of a neat song." So um, I went to um, a, my friend's house, Jose, his studio, and we recorded it. I wanted to do it in a punk rock version, um, very 77th style, all downstrokes, all eighth notes. Mm-hmm. And uh, the concept of like short songs hadn't really hit me yet, but this song just happened to be short. And so um, we recorded it, and I thought, you know, this is really something cool. This is really neat. I should, I should write a few more songs and see, see if I'm on to something here. So I wrote, I wrote about a half a dozen more songs, and about three of them were, were crap, so I threw those out, but about three of them were good. And uh, we recorded those, and then I put, put Lovebug up on MySpace, mm-hmm. and I started getting all these emails. Messages from from people probably around my age who have kids, and they would tell me that their their kid, like five year old, six, seven, eight year olds, they said, you know, wow, my every time I turn on the computer, my my kid wants me to, you know, go to your page and play Love Bug. <laughs> so I thought, well, now that's something kind of cool. So I thought, well, maybe I'll make a punk rock record. See, it's a, it's all evolved- It all evolved. Maybe I'll make a punk rock record, really short songs and kind of oriented toward kids. And uh, I didn't want it to be an educational record, really. Mm -hmm. I wasn't, you know, like, look both ways where you cross the street or anything like that. But just really simple concepts that a kid might be able to understand, like, you know, Mr. Machine, you know, he's, you know, he's part man, part machine. He's Mr. Machine. There it is, you know. (laughs) He's somewhere in between man and machine. There we go. That's the rhyme. (laughs) You know, um and and basically that was it. I just started putting together songs, and once I got 15 of them, I went, well, that's enough, and I recorded them all. And I went, wow, this record's 11 minutes long. And I thought, well, there it is. Right. It's 11 <laughs> minutes long, you know. So I'm going with it. Right. So you've, yeah,
0: you've kind of come full circle in your career, back to. Uh... Punk rock, and,
1: indeed, uh, yeah, indeed, I have, and a lot of those songs are actually about um, real people and real events. Um, as real as any Bruce Springsteen song, <laughs> you know. <laughs> it's like, like I said, Love Bug is an actual clown, um, a little plastic clown, bless his heart, and uh, um, you know, Mister Machine, I got that from a uh, from that Legs, Legs McNeil book, and you know, there was some, I think, some guy you know, in the Dead Boys or something was talking about how. He could stay up, you know, five nights in a row and do all these shows, something like that. And he was like, a, he was like Mister Machine. And I thought, oh, okay, that's good, that's good. Right. Mondo Night is about, you know, our our neighbors next door. They actually every Friday night their their brother-in-law Armando comes over and you know, and they have a little barbecue. So every Friday night is Mondo Night, and on and on. And of course, Lady Bird is about Lady Bird Johnson.
0: Okay. Right.
1: Yeah, so when I heard she passed away, I was driving around, heard she passed away and I thought it was kinda of sad, you know, it was like Lady Bird Johnson and uh and I kinda of, I kinda of wrote that one in my brain while I was driving around And came home and you know, picked up a guitar and put the chords to it and stuff. Okay. Bless
2: her heart. Right. One, two,
1: three
0: in the music industry for, for this many years? I mean, is it, does it surprise you sometimes when you look back that you're you're still doing it?
1: Yes. <laughs> because I never really thought about, you know, especially in the punk rock days, we didn't, you know, I mean, even putting out a single was like something radical. You know, something we never really, um, you know, thought of putting out an album. I mean, that was unthinkable you know we knew we had enough songs for an album but pff, who'd want to make an album of this stuff you know I think in rank and file I started thinking a little bit more about a career because we had we had quite a bit of success with that right off the bat you know when well, One Sundown came out and um, I started thinking about it a little bit more but but I mean a long time has gone by you know it's 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 amazing. I mean, between like you know Elvis and when the Beatles broke up, it's like you know 12 years or something like that. Punk rock's been around for like 30, what 31, 32 years. Right, exactly. It's it's a little too much perspective. <laughs>
4: <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's for sure. But it's a good thing. It's a good thing. I and like you say, you know, coming full circle with playing a punk rock record is it all feels good. I, I my my kids get a big kick out of it because they have a lot of friends who. Um, you are into punk rock and they do what I what I did when I was discovering, you know, new bands, I mean new to me, you know, like mm. Buddy Holly and that kind of stuff, I would go, you know, read about, well, who did he listen to? Then I'd go back and listen to that stuff. Right. And uh so they they, they do the same thing. They uh you know, they love Green Day and they say, Well who are these bands Green Day is talking about? So they go on the internet and, you know, all these bands come up. So it's kind of fun because they'll have friends to go Oh yeah, you know my my dad was in the Dills. He goes, the Dills, oh I know, oh my God, I know they <laughs> <laughs> They always love that, right?
0: <laughs> Do you have any ideas for what you what you might be doing in the future, or is it one of these things that inspirational hit you one day?
1: Yes, I think it just has to uh, has to be somewhat accidental and somewhat inspirational, and um, then just see what comes up. Um, like I never would have known, you know, thought I would be doing you know punk rock again if you would have asked me during the cowboy nation days if i was going to be playing punk rock he'd be like, i don't think so <laughs> but um but there it is i mean tony always says you know the one band he'd like to see get back together again is blackbird but i don't even know where our drum machine is so i don't know <laughs> if that could happen but um you know i i don't know who who knows maybe we'll hit we will hit the reunion circuit and cash in and all this you know i simply don't know i just kind of let it happen and uh and, and enjoy it as it does
0: has the industry changed as much as people say that it has? I mean, you've been around it for thirty plus years now. Has it has it really changed as much as people say it has?
1: Well, not only I, I think has the industry changed because um, it's it's a, you know record labels don't really take chances anymore. Um, big you know major labels.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I think I think they put out a record and if it doesn't hit, that's it. You're gone. Um, and it's also it's changing just by with the internet and with i mean and you know downloads and everything that's uh that's changing uh, absolutely everything i mean iTunes is the biggest retailer of music mm-hmm. you know it's bigger than it's bigger than anything bigger than any distribution system bigger than any record store um it's changed in the way that people can make their records in their bedroom and then put them on the Internet and then, you know, and then network them out and have people buy them. You know, it's changed that way. And it's also changed that there's so many bands. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> there's like, uh, yeah, there's 500,000 bands, you know. Uh-huh. And I don't know if that's a good thing. I guess it is, but it's, I it, in, in the old days, uh, when we used to drive to San Francisco, you know, we'd get in our van and, and if we were in LA and we'd drive up to San Francisco, to do a show, you would never see another band ever, you know. But these days, if I if I go up to San Francisco or go visit someone in Grass Valley or something like that, I'll see like half a dozen bands, you know, <laughs> pull over at the Burger King or you know, that sort of thing. Right. It's it's really amazing. It's really amazing how many bands there are. But um, hey, more power to them. Let them do my songs. So that's okay. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, I don't mind. I don't mind at all.
0: Right. Well, Chip, once again, I really appreciate your time. It was a pleasure talking to you.
1: Likewise, Andy.
0: So here's a trivia question. Of the three songs we featured, I Hate the Rich by The Dills, Amanda Ruth by Rankin File, and God Bless Love Bug by Chip Kinman and PCH, which was covered by the Everly Brothers. Not too hard of a question, I suppose, but I don't know about you, but I'd like to hear the Everly Brothers take on I Hate the Rich. Well, June is packed with some great new releases, and who better than Joe Nichols to highlight them on What's On Tap?
4: Hello, and welcome to What's On Tap. I'm Joe Nichols. Pull up a chair and I'll spin you a yarn of what releases are coming up. Chicago's Own Disturbed are coming out with their fourth album. I know, I didn't even know they had a third. But this rap and roll masterpiece is called Indestructible. Not to be confused with Jessica Simpson's Irresistible, though. The sexiest woman you'll ever see yodel is coming out with her first country album. Folksy singer Jules perfectly clears her evolutionary step into the land of Nashville. The spawn of Mr. Zimmerman is coming out with his first solo album since Leaving the Wallflowers. Jacob Dylan's debut is called Seeing Things. Well, if he's saying things, he got into daddy's secret stash now, didn't he? Well, Ryan Reynolds, a.k.a. Van Wilder, is engaged to Scarlett Johansson. So, you know, Alanis Morissette is letting loose on her ex with flavor entanglement. Run, Ryan, run. Remember what Jagged Little Pill did to Dave Coulier? I know what you're thinking. Cut it out. The offspring are doing their best impression of Edward Gibbon, by releasing Rise and Fall, Rage and Grace. That reference might be a little vague, but it was worth it. Yes, it was. When it comes to Walmart exclusive releases, it's not about the destination. It's about the journey, releasing a Walmart exclusive called Revelation. I was a little dirty tiny about that last one, but... you know, I'm a, I take this job serious enough. Mr. Stefani Gavin Rossdale is releasing... Wonderlust, My Morning Jacket is releasing evil urges to continue with more of their bad puns. N-E-R-D are now singing sounds. Well, you know what? Back in my day, we could taste sounds, but times change. Coldplay are shouting, Viva la vida or death and all of his friends. The latter sounds about right. Radiohead is setting a best-of collection loose. Nostradamus is the title of Judas Priest's latest rock-off. Even that great seer was shocked that Rob Halford was gay, but still very metal. I mean, oddly metal. I don't know about you, but my thirst has been quenched. I'm Joe Nichols, and that's what's on tap. Thanks for imbibing with me today on this podcast.
0: Now let's head back to the music roundtable as Joao and Phil talk Tripping Daisy, Flaming Lips, and Elvis.
2: Uh, anything blowing your mind right now?
3: Anything blowing my mind right now? Um, no, I mean... I really like MGMT, man. I I've
2: yeah, really... Yeah, me to that. yeah, my brother's turning me to them. I mean, you know, I, I was reading a thing about, you know, that one of the guys who produced like some <laughs> of the Flaming Lip did there... Uh, their album they got the kind of their start from like the guys from like up Montreal I think saw them somewhere and like I'm digging it man I really like it you know it kind of reminds me I'm gonna steal my brother's quote on this like and you know what I thought this it kind of reminds me of, like Tripping Daisy and the Flaming Lips and like
3: dude Tripping Daisy was yeah. amazing that was like one of my yeah, favorite dude, bands I you know twice in concert I, I felt like a groupie because wow. because it was two nights in a row I saw them in Kansas City and then I saw them in, in Springfield and I was what like I was like they? chasing them what album
2: were they doing? Um, Jesus and uh, like the Atombo? yeah yeah
3: yeah Jesus yeah.
2: yeah I saw them on that one did they have like
3: all the bubbles
2: yeah Some, like, so that the they would do the projectors, projectors. yeah that's <laughs> awesome like I once saw them at the uh, the maintenance shop in Ames, Iowa with, uh, with my brother and my buddy Keshaw, and what was awesome is um you know, you get up there and you're like, oh, the maintenance shop. Yeah, I thought it was a cool name, like the Attic from Saved by the Bell. And it totally <laughs> was the maintenance shop. I loved it. I was like, are those lawnmowers and, like, hedge clippers <laughs> hanging? And it was totally small and intimate. And I, I want to say the bassist just had, like, this sweet, like, pipe the whole time. You're just smoking a pipe and, like, it was awesome. Jesus is like the Atom Bomb. Amazing album. Yeah, yeah, pretty
3: good album.
2: And cool you, know, you know what, um... One of those bands we were talking about earlier that you didn't get into until a little bit later, the Flaming Lips. I did not get into until uh, Yoshimi Battles of Pink Robots, mm-hmm. arguably one of my favorite albums right now. I can, you know, some days I'm yes, some days I'm no, most days I'm yes. And then I've gone back and I listen to Soft Bulletin and like Cloud Taste Metallic and like some of their other things from their earlier works that I didn't listen to in high school when they, you know, the the Jelly came out. Which, like, you know, I thought was so stupid, because I was, like, 14, and all I wanted to do was punch stuff. <laughs> but now, like, it's amazing, and I've gone back and listened to it, and now I've listened to, like, Tripping Daisy, and I'm like, ooh, like, yeah, the Flaming Lips are totally doing this. But it's awesome. Flaming Lips are amazing. You know what? Um, the guy's got an awesome name. What's the lead singer's name? Wayne, Wayne Cole, Wayne, Wayne Cole. You know, I got a documentary of theirs and uh, the, Fearless Freaks. the Fearless Freaks, and it's cool because he still lives like it's in like Oklahoma City mowing the lawn. Like it's so awesome. <laughs> like he's just a dude. There's like all these like little kids running up to him, and they're just they don't know who he is. You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> he just you know he's in a wife beater. Like is you know is that appropriate wife beater? Is that an appropriate
3: term? I think in Oklahoma City it is. All right, he's in a wife beater. Well, that's not appropriate. Not cool. <laughs> not
2: cool. Wow. You know, we just got done embracing Madonna, and here you are slandering her hairy people. <laughs> like, what a
3: jerk. That's what I do. No, I think with the lips, too, like, their videos, like, I remember seeing some of them then, like, I, I didn't like them then, but knowing who they are now, now I love watching those old yes, videos. Yes, yes. I'm, yeah, I'm it's you. like the old albums. Like, now I can see the old albums. I know where they're coming from.
2: And it, it makes... it does, It's not so much that it makes sense, but it's cooler. Yeah. And their new videos yeah. are... You know, the thing about awesome. the flaming lips is, like, I, I remember I saw him a, a couple summers ago and I remember it really dawned on me you know their stage presence you know so, somewhat like their videos it's like alright so they're up there they're playing their music which I think they play really well live you know it's mm-hmm. really yeah. fun really easy to get into he does you know a lot of theatrics you know which he comes in the balls and he's constantly shooting up like you know smoke and there's like confetti yeah and it's the party. He's making a party on the stage but then he comes out and you know there's all these people in like alien costumes and Santa Claus outfits and right off the first impact of that you're thinking to yourself like what? And then like it really sounded I mean, like what? doesn't like Santa and aliens <laughs> like <laughs> seriously like give me a personal on I love both of those like concepts so they're a party band. They're awesome.
3: Oh Yoshime
4: They don't
3: I think we should toast. I think we should toast to the 90s. I love the 90s. I know. I love the 90s too. Because I have something to say about the 90s. I definitely do. All right. Um, To the 90s. To the 90s.
4: Well, oh, why. I nice. Think... Where'd you get that? CBS?
2: That's good.
3: <laughs> <laughs> My favorite song of the 90s there is Vogue. I don't know who sang it, but I really don't yeah. know. <laughs> you got many things to say about this. That was
2: gay. <laughs> <laughs> um, no. Were there, like, in a factory or something? No, that's, uh, that's um... Express Yourself. Express Yourself, yeah.
3: Damn it. <laughs> we, we we can edit that out, right? We can edit that out. She's, how old is she now? 50. She's going to be 50. What's your birthday, Joelle? Let me hear it. <laughs> hey, hey, you want to – listen. There's a very good reason to yeah, know her birthday. Because it's, it's your favorite – No, birthday. dumbass, because Elvis died on that day. Uh, okay. Oh, yeah, We all know when Elvis so died. Means, right. Well, I mean, if you're going to say uh, it's not all just right. another day. <sighs>
2: I mean oh, – It's pretty much just another day. And, like, I don't get Elvis. I don't – you know what? Really, I, you don't get Elvis? I kind of do, you know, because I think I can do a little Elvis thing. <laughs> Never have, so I, you know, I don't get Elvis. But I have one amazing Elvis story. This is my favesies. I had a teacher in high school who was a hardcore Elvis nut. He used to wear like, and I won't say his name because he listens to your podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. I mean, who doesn't? But um, <laughs> Does he he how would how wear it? like Elvis ties, and I think he had like an awesome, like super amazingly clunky laptop with like elvis backgrounds like elvis this elvis that elvis this. like he he loved elvis you know my mom is uh, somewhat inappropriate i love her to death she told me one of the most inappropriate things that i could tell this teacher to get kicked out of his class which was that i raised my hand and said i heard when elvis died they didn't flush the toilet (laughs) they just (laughs) left it and uh I don't get it. It's not that wrong. Like I had, I told him I, I heard it in flush and that was I got kicked out. He was not happy about that. <laughs> so, uh, do you guys like Elvis?
3: I I mean I I think our parents grew up Oh, well, I don't know how old your parents are, but my mom is, you know, sixty, so she grew up with Elvis. So Does she like Elvis? Yeah, 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 definitely. You know, she grew up with the Beatles. She likes the Beatles as well too, but I mean you think of like, you know, especially like and this is a good this is a good segue into talking about you know the the records that these artists have Put in place like talking about the Beatles talking about Elvis and then talking about like somebody like Mariah Carey who just broke Elvis's you know 18th number one single Mariah record Carey. you know yeah
2: I been see her name on the top of that chart what what is it do with this like she just has a new album it's
3: number one yeah. is it is it up to the hype like no it's not but you have to think that Elvis is dead and she's you know what I'm saying so he quit making music so think of how long he's been think of how long he hasn't been making music and how long it's taken somebody that's put out you know especially with how fast our media is today you know I mean they're finally breaking records of artists that haven't been making music in how long so
2: I thought Nirvana broke that record though
3: like I wouldn't yeah, no, nir- because uh, this
2: is
0: number one single oh
2: singles,
3: singles. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. the Beatles have the most with something like 20 well, and then rap singles destroyed all is <laughs> 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 your heart with pain.
2: Shall I come back again? Tell me,
4: dear, <laughs> are you lonesome
3: tonight? <laughs> That's it, man. Fourteen years right on the drain, well i tell you. <laughs>
0: Thank you, Joao and Phil, and also to Derek Kolb of the band Harper Hadley, who made a quick cameo there. His friend George was also present in the room. Sorry, George, for not knowing your last name, but thanks anyway for being there with us. Finally today, we close out the show with a bit of music industry commentary with The Resonating Chord. What was the first CD you bought? For me, it was Leonard Skinner, 1991, and one of Yes's Greatest Hits albums. Strange selections for a 14-year-old in 1991, but memorable nonetheless. Now, can you remember the last CD you bought? I can't. The CD is dead, as evidenced by the superiority of iTunes and the downfall of retail record stores. It was once thought that CDs were the format to end all formats, but like the cassette tape, vinyl, and 8-track, they are a thing of the past. What are the pros and cons of the death of the CD? Pro number one. CDs were far too expensive. It's pretty well known that the major labels inflated the prices of CDs. At one point it was fairly common to head to the record store and have to shell out $18 for an album from your favorite artist. The cost to manufacture that CD was far far less so the labels made a killing. What option did we have though? Now one can get a full-length release of an artist for $10 to $12 on iTunes, sometimes less. Or if you don't want to wade through every track of an album, you can purchase individual tracks for 99 cents a piece. The power is now in the hands of the consumer, rather than the label. Music is as affordable as it should be. Con number one, quality. Maybe you get what you pay for. Yes, mp3s are affordable, but the trade-off is a significantly less rich sonic experience. On some recordings it doesn't matter, but with others, highly compressed digital files just don't do the trick. One of the last CDs I did buy was the Beatles' Love album. The bonus disc is the album in 5.1 digital surround sound. Hearing this music in such a format was like hearing the Beatles for the first time. The way digital files are right now, there is no way they could duplicate this experience, or be rich enough to give a good Pink Floyd album justice. You don't need to be an audio snob to tell the difference. Pro number two, Convenience. With MP3s, one can have thousands upon thousands of songs stored into a hard drive and easily transferred to a portable device like the iPod. No packaging, no need for bulky storage cabinets, no physical disc to smudge or scratch, just thousands of songs at your fingertips. It's a glorious thing. Con number two. I kind of miss the packaging. Wasn't it always such a thrill bringing home that CD, breaking open the cellophane, and flipping through the CD's booklet while you crank the tunes on your stereo? Sure, it lacked the feeling of art like the feeling you get from buying a record, but at least it was something. Now you get a little picture of the album and maybe you'll get a digital booklet if you buy the whole album. But who buys whole albums these days anyway? And it's just not the same as holding the booklet and flipping through each glossy page. Mostly I won't miss the CD though. I like how easily I can compile thousands of songs. I like putting my library on shuffle and being surprised by what will be next like the thrill of how radio used to be. The quality problem needs to be solved, though. In all actuality, the CD was never as rich-sounding as vinyl anyway. One can't believe that vinyl will come back, but rich digital files can't be far away. At least one can hope. Some artists are already looking for solutions to the fidelity problem that exists with MP3s. I'm sure there are a lot of fans of quality recordings that will be grateful when the solution is found. But for now, goodbye, compact discs. Thanks for all the good memories, and may you not be too lonely in the basement with all the VHS tapes. Let that resonate with you for a while. For Fundamental Tracks, I'm Andy Pulliam. That's going to do it for yet another episode of Fundamental Tracks. Fundamental Tracks is produced in conjunction with Fundamental Records. Visit them online at fundamentalrecords.com. Executive producer for Fundamental Tracks is Tim White. Senior producer is Andy Pulliam. Associate producer is Joe Nichols. RSS feedmaster is Michael Maloney. Special thanks goes out to Chip Kinman. You can order Chip Kinman and PCH's release, My First Punk Rock Record, at FundamentalRecords.com. Join us next time for conversation and music with The Shackletons. Thanks for listening. And we'll leave you with one more punk rock classic from Chip Kinman's first band, The Dills. Here's You're Not Blank. Thank you.